Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Bruce DeTorres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. World Stage indeed, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guests for this hour, I want to talk a little bit about a recent post at VigilantNews.com. OBGYN drops alarming miscarriage data before Congress. I've never seen this before. Dr. Kimberly Biss, an OBGYN who has been involved in 8,000 pregnancies, details how miscarriage rates have doubled year over year since the introduction of the COVID-19 injections. This is on VigilantNews.com from November 13th. I've never seen this before, testified Dr. Kimberly Biss, who has been involved in 8,000 pregnancies, testifying before Congress in the injuries caused by COVID-19 vaccines hearing Monday, the Monday before November 13th. How many of your patients or pregnant women that you know of experience miscarriages after taking the COVID-19 vaccines or injections, she was asked. And she first explained that the vaccination rate get up to speed and start conversations with everyone you know at least once a day to protect the people you care about and contribute to the tsunami of awakening that many people believe and hope is happening about this horrendous crime against humanity that seems to be the COVID shot agenda. With me this hour are Sean Kane and Bill Rader, co-hosts of the podcast, That's Enough Out of You, where they cover history, sports, pop culture, and true crime. Things like the assassinations of the 1960s, the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa and Watergate, not the disappearance of Watergate, the Italian mafia, the Irish mob, Jewish gangsters, the troubles in Northern Ireland, colonialism in Africa and the Middle East, the CIA, the FBI, intelligence operations, declassified government documents, and much more. The show can be found at That's Enough Out of You, Outta, O-U-T-T-A-U. That's Enough Out of You dot Squarespace dot com. And that's enough out of me. How are you both, Sean and Bill? Thanks for joining me again today. How are you? Doing great, Bruce. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing good. Thank you. That's a lot of stuff that we we cover in that podcast. <laughs> it really is. It's one of the many very impressive things about you both and also about your show. And uh, I want to dig into, as you know, all we, uh, about the mob and, and organized crime today. That's what I really, really want to pick your brain about and wherever that might take us. But first, for those who might be meeting you for the first time, when did you launch your show? Why did you start it? And what are some of the truly amazing things that you have learned or realized in the course of your show? When did you start it and why? Well, we started the show, Bruce, about, about a year and a half ago. Um, but I always tell people we've been doing this show for about 20 years. We just haven't been recording it. 
Sean and I taught have, you know, we've been, we've known each other for quite a while. And um, I mean, since the mid nineties, we've been friends. Um, Sean is, is my wife's first cousin. So we met, I think in 96 or 97, early 97. And um, we just, we have a lot in common. I think we, you know, we uh, have, uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of topics that we can just talk about for hours and hours and hours and, you know, never, <laughs> never run out of things to say. Yeah. And the podcast has been great. Uh, we've met so many great people, Bruce, including yourself since we started this. I mean, it's just been tremendous, but one of the things that I think uh, surprised us a little bit, I think was the, the how bad the character assassination was against John F. Kennedy. That's one of the things that, because I, I mean, I knew it was bad, but until I really start talking to authors like Don McGovern, uh, Lisa Peace, Jim Diogenio, and you start really getting into it, and you realize that they assassinated the man twice. Yep. And that's the that's the awful thing about it, and and that's that's the thing that surprised me the most how hmm. bad it was. Well, talk to me a little about that because we just passed the 60th anniversary of his assassination, and I think his assassination was one of the two enormous turning points in American history from, from our beginning. So what, what, how would you describe the impact of his assassination and the need to assassinate his character to uh, throw mud at appreciating his greatness, which throws, which, which blurs and obscures what he was doing because to comprehend what he was doing and why it was great is would inspire more people to want to do the same thing and to want the things that he was working to create. So talk to me about John F. Kennedy and the impact of his, his presidency and the impact of his assassination, please. Well, Bruce, when you look at John F. Kennedy's vision for the world, and then you look at 60 years later, what the world looks like right now, I mean, it's, it's totally different. And nobody could tell me it's better. I mean, it's a, it's a disaster. And the thing is, John F. Kennedy was a peace president. John F. Kennedy was making relations uh, with nationalists. Um, John F. Kennedy was anti-colonialism. You look at the problems that are going on in the Middle East today, specifically in Israel and Palestine, and you look at John F. Kennedy's Middle East policy, it was totally different than what went on in the last 60 years since his assassination. So... Everything is impacted. John F. Kennedy's foreign policy across the board is different than what we've seen in the last 60 years. And then you look at, you know, Henry Kissinger just died. And they talk about this man like he was some great foreign, uh, you know, policy advisor, which is unbelievable. I mean, so, you know, the, the atrocities that he committed, the, the millions of people that because of his policies were killed across the world in Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, I could go on and on. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And here they praise him in the mainstream media and they attack John F. Kennedy. You know, they they attack him on womanizing and he was tied to the mob and, and drug use and all this stuff. And we have authors on, we have Don McGovern on, Jim Diogenio, and they debunk all this stuff. And the thing is, like you mentioned, Bruce, you wanna they want to attack his character. And make him such a bad guy that nobody's going to go down that path. But you know what? Um, when they killed John F. Kennedy, they didn't just assassinate the man. They assassinated the opposite of presidency. And everybody knows since then that there's a line 
that you don't cross. And if you cross that line, you're going to end up like him. Hmm. And Bruce, it's not just, you know, not just JFK. I mean, we've seen over the years, all of the, um, you know, these civil rights leaders and, and people who who stand for, for peace, for good, for equal, equality, all of these people that have been assassinated over the years, you know, RFK and, and MLK, um, and, and, you know, now we're, we're even learning things uh, about John Lennon um, and, and his assassination. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, we just don't have anybody today that fills that void. We don't have anybody today who stands up and says, I'm going to be the voice for the for the people who don't have a voice. I'm going to be the voice of, of equality and I'm going to be the person who, who, you know, will take the shots and take the heat. Um, those people just don't exist. And I think a lot of it is because they know what can happen. Before Bobby Kennedy Jr. became a candidate in April, I would have agreed wholeheartedly with you. I'm rather convinced that he, against uh, against all odds, has has stood up as such a voice. So, what's your opinion or awareness of what he's espousing in his candidacy? Well, you know, I I think it's difficult for people to know that because he's not being allowed on mainstream media, <laughs> right? So, I mean, how how are we going to know? He's not. There's not not going to be a debate. There's not going to be a uh, a you know de a democratic debate. Um, there's there's really no way unless you go and, and listen to podcasts and and um, you know alternative media interviews that he's done. There's really not no way to know what his policies are. And you know that's one of the crimes that, that I believe that's taking place is we we have this two party system, and the mainstream media is not going to allow anything else. No, the mainstream will not until it's forced to but i got good news for you my friend there there's a lot of recent polling that shows kennedy very very favorable favorable and even leading among biden and trump his major uh, competitors so just by virtue of the alternative media and the bazillion podcasts that kennedy is aggressively trying to get on you guys ought to invite him on a regular basis i do and he is really espousing and standing for so many things that stand on the principles that his uncle and his father stood for and also firmly grounded in an appreciation of what america is supposed to be which is how we need to judge engage greatness um that's that's my that's the surprise gift to you today is that he's laying out and he's very 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 aggressively um very much like his uncle and his father competing for this and there's just there's just there's a tenacity to it which wouldn't matter because everybody is that can be ambitious what's most exciting is his foundation and the truth he's telling about the corporate capture of our institutions of power, which is the definition of fascism. We could spend the whole time together today just, just talking about, about that. I'll ask you one question about another author and tell you about one different book. And then I do want to roll up our sleeves and uh, learn all I can from you 
about uh, organized crime and the, and the mob as you might see it or you might, you know, want to uh, highlight it. Are you aware of an author named Michael Hoffman? And are you aware of his book called Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare? No, no. <laughs> I haven't. Let's race. Who's going to get him on our shows first? <laughs> um, because it's really really a, a mind-blowing uh book and secret societies and psychological warfare and the first half of it is unbelievable it just describes how you know going back through the masons and into the 20th century's offshoot the oto the order templi orientis um and Alistair Crowley, these secret societies that perform these rituals to uh, brainwash and hypnotize us, to process the public mind, to accept as inevitable their horrible version of, of humanity. And in the second half of the book, he describes how we for centuries were more traditional in terms of experiencing life experiencing the joy and even the divinity of existence the divinity of nature the the holiness and the sacredness of the family experience and even the benefits of reading the solitary interior healing growing wonderful nurturing thing that reading is it's such i just thought it was a book of horrors and then the second half of it to this man's great credit michael hoffman he describes how it used to more be, which allows us to envision, you know, something to look forward to. So, so there. What are your thoughts and comments about all that as uh, before we dig into uh, organized crime and the mob? <laughs> well, we'll have to check that out, Bruce. We know, you know, the impact that groups like uh, the Skull and Bones have had on society. You know, yeah. we know some of the figures, the Bush family involved with, with Skull and Bones, you know, the secret group at Yale. Um, so, yeah, secret societies has been a part of America since the beginning, you know, and they've controlled a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's what got Chris Milligan of Trying Day, for whom I do the marketing. That's what launched him on his thing. Have you had Chris on your show? No, we haven't. Have you asked? No. <laughs> we'd well, love to have them yeah well there you go That's, we definitely would like to have them all right well um if you email me uh you know an invite you want to forward to him then i'll forward to him and ccu to put him on the spot and force him to reply <laughs> good. all right thank you bruce yeah 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 he um he was a hippie in the 60s when his uh father who was 10 years out of the cia told him stuff that chris says you know really really blew his mind the vietnam war is all about drugs there's these secret societies behind it all they're out to opiate your whole generation and communism's all a, a sham to them it's all a big game and chris thought he was nuts he had never heard about any of these things before and um back in the 1970s someone called him a conspiracy theorist and chris said what's that you know, so Chris started looking into it. And then for 50 years, 40, 50 years, 
he he was he really really read about you know skull and bones and everything else about what's going on behind the scenes and then 20 years ago he started publishing books as a trying day with me are sean kane and bill raider of the awesome podcast that's enough out of you and now here is important information from tnt radio tnt radio's chris smith despite being used to protect travelers from terrorists hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board and this has been going on since 1961 they won't be around this thanksgiving none of them air marshals were always meant to be invisible well you can guarantee that this thanksgiving ironically the biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. This is World Station with me, or Sean Kane and Bill Raider of That's Enough Out of You, the great podcast. And that's enough out of me. I don't think I've ever talked so much in the first opening segment of any of my shows, guys. <laughs> so um, I think that's just my level of comfort and my enthusiasm for your great show. The amount of people, the, the, the quality of the people that you attract the long form nature of of the show um last question before organized crime where do you see your show going from here what is your up to the minute assessment of what's awesome about doing your show and what's your greatest hope fantasy that you've never confessed to anybody before about what you think it could become Hmm. well you know when we started it i don't think we we thought it was going to get as big as it did. And I think now that we've seen what we could do, we want to reach even more people and we want to keep getting bigger and bigger and, and bringing out more guests and keeping the information new and uh, keeping everything interesting and um, just see where we could go from there. Yeah. I think we, we were, you know, when we started, we were just hoping that we might get a few of our friends and family to listen to it. And, uh, you know, we've been pleasantly surprised with um, with the response we've gotten, with the guests we've been able to get so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are certainly I mean, we've been thrilled with the guests that that, that we've had and we oh, love having you. them on, um, including you, Bruce. And, um, you know, there are certainly guests that, that are out there that I think would be uh, would be uh, some pretty big fish for us if we could reel them in. But, uh, you know, hopefully that'll that'll happen for us within, you know, within the next uh, next few months, next year or so. Nice. Well, I want you to because I enjoy your show so much. I enjoy what I learn. And um, like like I try to say every time, every single one of us who cares about the truth, who today doesn't have a show, never has never written a book, is even afraid to have scary conversations at work and with their family, need 
to be challenged to do and say something every single day. Because when more of us are talking about more true things, the faster we will protect ourselves from the horrible things being done to us right now, and we will prevent more of the horrible things that horrible people have in store for us. So that's what's at stake with a show like yours. That There's nothing less than that at stake. It is literally the resuscitation and reincarnation and resurrection of America. Okay, that's enough out of me. It's official. And I... I I don't know why I picked up on the fact that organized crime is is one of your melee. What what is organized crime to you in terms of in terms of I don't want to assume anything. Your level of interest, fascination, what is it to you guys? Well, I mean, organized crime is what we just talked about, Bruce, a secret society, uh-huh. specifically the mafia. I mean, that's what it is. At least that's what it was in its heyday when it became too public is when it fell apart. But as far as our interest, I mean, you know, I always get accused on a show by by people of being sticking up for gangsters and stuff like that. And, and I'm not confused by these people. I know what they are. They're criminals. But they are interesting to follow in, in the, what they've accomplished and, and the structure that they formed. And it, what I always was interested in with it was the, the Irish gangster and the Jewish gangsters relationship with the Italian mafia which became Cosa Nostra um, in the United States. And there's really no way to discuss uh, the syndicate in America without discussing the Irish and the Jewish gangsters role with the Italians. Because when, when the mafia was formed in the United States, it was three, three people who formed it. Oni Madden, who was Irish, uh, Bugsy, or excuse me, Meyer Lansky, who was Jewish, and Lucky Luciano, who was Italian. And what you see is they formed 26 families across the United States. And then you see the Irish and the Italian or the Irish and the Jewish working within that system, sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly. For instance, up in Boston, Whitey Bulger, he has his own Irish gang up there, the Winter Hill gang. They kind of work outside the system. But when you really look at it, they're almost like a 27th family. And the same thing with uh, Mickey Cohen, who was a Jewish gangster in Los Angeles. That's like another family, you know. And then you look at um, gangsters like Meyer Lansky, who works inside the, the, the mafia. And actually, even though he's Jewish, he kind of looked like a consigliere for Lucky Luciano in, in the Genovese family. And then another example would be uh, Jimmy Burke, who was Irish, and Robert De Niro played him in Goodfellas. Um, he kind of looks like an acting boss of the Lucchese family, even though he's Irish. So you got the gangsters, the Irish and the Jewish gangsters working within the system, working with outside the system. But together in these relationships that a lot of times they formed in prison, especially on the East Coast, when they get out of prison, they would bring those relationships to the streets. And that's that's where it's basically formed. And they created really a powerhouse that, you know, Really, they were controlling industries, you know, the concrete industry. They were controlling unions. And, um, you know, it was a powerhouse until the government really, after J. Edgar Hoover, who, you know, didn't want to go after the mafia at all, uh, and Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy really started the attack on the mafia. And he was the greatest crime fighter that we ever seen went after them. But once the FBI honed in on them, I, I mean, they they took him apart. Hmm. What? What's the 
history. Give me the be- kind of beginning, middle, and end as to how the uh, the different cluster, maybe by ethnicity, those three major uh, factions, we'll call them, and then when did they come together? What was the beginning? When did they come together? So let's start with that. Well, there's always been organized crime. Uh, actually, it started with the Irish. The Irish go back to the 1800s. Um, you saw the movie Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really, you know, the the origins of, of organized crime. And then later on, the Italians came in, you know, more towards the, the late 1800s. And uh, the first Italian mob family was in New Orleans. And then the, what we know as the, the American syndicate, the 26 Cosa Nostra families, really didn't start until about 1921, you know, when prohibition started getting going. Uh, Lucky Luciano and Oni Madden and uh, Meyer Lansky uh, got everybody together and they said, look, because there was a lot of wars going on, especially in Chicago. You had the Irish mob led by Bugsy Siegel, or excuse me, Bugs Moran, uh, going to war with Al Capone. And a lot of these guys, like Luciano said, this is bad for business. Nobody's making money if everybody's out there killing each other. And if everybody works together, there's a lot of money to be made. So it was really in the in the 20s, the roaring 20s, uh, when, when everything came together. Those 26 families, how many were Italian, Jewish, and Irish? Well, the 26 families are strictly Italian. Okay. And, and they, you had to be um, 100% Italian at one point, but... According to a lot of the FBI files that that I read, sometimes that changed in in the eighties, and you only had to be one hundred percent Italian on your father's side to be made. But like I said, the Irish and the Jewish gangsters work within those families. So, like Jimmy Burke in in New York, looks like a made guy, even though he's not. He, he's Irish. And Meyer Lansky looks like a, a consigliere, which would be an advisor, but but he's obviously not a made guy because he's Jewish. And then you have the the really the Irish uh, gangs would be Boston, the Winter Hill Gang, and the Westies. The Westies yep. Yeah, in Hell's Kitchen, New York, they work outside. And then Mickey Cohen would be the Jewish family. His gang would be standalone. So you have the 26 Italian families, and then you have the two Irish gangs and, uh, and the one um, Jewish gang. But then you got individual Irish and Jewish gangsters working within those that structure. Nice. All right. Well, not nice, but thank you. That was the... Uh, good to clarify that. What would what would you say is is their legacy today? What was their impact on the functions of government at the at the local or even you know state or national level? What was their impact? What was their effect in terms of corrupting? Who corrupted who first? Well, you know, politicians who took their their payoffs, or you know. Uh, was it the you know the the mob was just too too rich to not want a part of what they did? How how much did they did they you know was that was the poisoning of the institutions that should be working for us and that we should trust? I think the corruption was really really bad in the twenties during prohibition. I think you know the the money that was being made then. You know, they, they really pay off the police and, and the corruption was really bad. And then once prohibition ended, they, they look for other means of, of income and, and they work towards the unions. And once they got control of the unions, the, the corruption just got so bad because they were controlling construction unions and, and hotel and restaurant unions and trucking unions, you know, like the Teamsters. And, and once you have control, you're almost affected almost every industry in the United States. 
Yeah. So the, the corruption just got to a point that was really bad. But the one thing is that the FBI um, outside, really outside of Boston, the corruption with, with Whitey Bulger up there with the FBI. And we're going to have an upcoming podcast on that because I, I have a theory on that, that I don't consider Whitey Bulger an informant. I think, you know, being that he was he was part of the MK Ultra program when he was in prison. I think they were protect. I think he was their made the government's um, created mob boss was Whitey Bulger. And that's that's my theory. And we're going to do a podcast on that coming up. But outside of him, they, the corruption with the FBI was was really limited. So the corruption was from police departments and um, state police departments and, and, and local police departments. But the, the one thing the mafia really couldn't do is, is corrupt the FBI. And that's after J. Edgar Hoover, of course. You know, once Hoover was gone, because Hoover, you know, they had they had dirt on Hoover that the CIA gave him about his homosexuality, and he never wanted to go after the mafia. But the the thing that we do on our podcast, Bruce, is we try to you know say specifically what could the organized crime accomplish and what they couldn't. And mm -hmm. you talk about the 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 myths that are out there. One of the ones that really get on my nerves is the the one that the mob rigged the election for Kennedy, which is just. We had Jim Diagini on and just destroy that myth because why would the mob help the Kennedys who were, were going after them? And, um, you know, they, their power was limited. They they couldn't have rigged that election. They didn't control enough uh, boards. Which to, which election? Tell, tell, tell me specifically. You know, election with Kennedy and Nixon. Yeah. What states? The what mob states? Rigged the election. Okay. And then they talk about, you know, Sam Giancana in Chicago. And, and the thing is, they don't understand that Sam Giancana was not the boss of Chicago. He was what's called the front boss. The, the guy who ran Chicago was Tony Accardo, who started as a as a leg breaker for Al Capone. And Accardo would run uh, the outfit, but he would always use front bosses. So the FBI would go after them and not him. And he would stay in the shadows. He was probably the smartest boss. And nobody knows his name. Nobody knows anything about him because he stayed in the shadows for 50 years. And he basically ran Chicago from the 40s up until he died in, I think, 1992. You know, so so Gene Conner never was the boss. So he couldn't have done anything at, that would affect the things at a national level. Right, right. You're, you're talking about the fact that as my as I see it and as I saw it in the 1970s. Outrage over the shenanigans investigating the president's assassination in 1963 had reached such a fever pitch that the Congress and the Senate and then the Congress, a number of investigations were reinvestigations were launched to try to find the truth about what happened to President Kennedy. And it was sure. in the 70s that this outpouring of mis and disinformation and character assassination appeared against Kennedy. And one of them, as you're well describing, is that Kennedy's father used his quote unquote alleged relationship or connections with the mob to help get his son elected in 1960. So that's part of the the smear campaign um, against it against him. Yeah. And and anybody wants to listen to our our episode we just had on recently with Jim Diagenio. I mean, he takes that apart. I mean, nobody could do it like Jim. He the the guy. Nobody knows Kennedy like Jim, and and he takes that apart, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. And and what what's your what's your what's your best summary or takeaway 
about the the impact of organized crime. Well, let's reverse it. Start with this question. What's its status today? What is the status of organized crime like that today? Well, I think, you know, you're never going to totally get rid of organized crime. And, and Cosa Nostra still does exist, but it's it's a shadow of what it was. I mean, in places like New York and Philly and, and Boston, you're always going to have organized crime there. But the 26 families, I believe more than half of them are defunct now. Um there, there's probably only about 10 of them left, and they're limited on what they could do. And there's other groups, other ethnic groups have have come in and, and taken over different parts. And, and, you know, you see that with the, the Mexican drug cartels and, and the Colombian cartels and and stuff. But the, the mafia isn't what it is, but what it was. But it, it still does exist. Hmm. But Bruce, I want to go back to something. When you mentioned, you know, in the 70s, you talked about, you know, the looking into the Kennedy assassination. And one of the things with the House Select Committee on Assassinations, when um, Dick Sprague and uh, Bob Tannenbaum were there, they were focusing solely on the CIA. They were looking at the CIA. And of course, CIA made sure that they were pushed out. Hmm. And Robert Blakey takes over. Now, Robert Blakey, his background was, you know, he was a prosecutor and he was prosecuting organized crime his whole life. So he wanted to look at solely on organized crime. And that's where his focus was. And that's where he made that. I'm sure you're aware of that deal he made with the CIA, and and they they backstabbed him by bringing in Joe Adidas, who was supposed to have no, uh, you know, affiliation with the agency or or anything to do with Oswald. And here he was running the Cubans that was running Oswald in New Orleans. So they brought him in to paralyze that investigation. And, and Blakey's focus was completely on um, the mafia. And and I could tell you, Bruce is is looking down that. There's nothing down that road. The, the mafia did not assassinate John Kennedy. They were not the masterminds. And if, if people want to say individual mobsters like a Johnny Rosselli or a Santo Traficante were involved, you have to look at them as they were CIA assets. So any involvement by those two guys, like, say, putting pressure on Jack Ruby to get rid of Oswald, would have been those guys being subservient to the CIA, not yeah. the mafia arranging and organizing the assassination. Yeah, that's a lot of that. You just described some of the the mud, as Chris Milligan of Trine Day calls it, surrounding the the Kennedy assassination. Ruby was mob connected, and those mobsters you mentioned, Traficante, Roselli, Ng and Kana, were and Carlos Marcello were in, were involved with the CIA's plots against well, Castro. Let me jump in there, Bruce. Uh, yeah. The one thing about Marcello is always a lot of authors put Marcello's name in there with, with Traficante and, and Rosselli and Giancana. And the thing is, I read a lot of the declassified documents on the CIA mafia plus to kill Castro, and I've never seen Carlos Marcello's name in those documents. Now, Thank there you. some involvement, possibly there's a file Army Intelligence had on Carlos Marcello mm -hmm. I've been working with, but, but there's no evidence that I've ever seen put Marcello in those plots, but a lot of authors just put his name in there because he was so close with Traficante. Well, no, in the in the eighty by the eighties, there were accounts that uh, were reputed to be authoritative about conversations he had had at the time during the early sixties, and then when he was in jail in the nineteen eighties. But that could all be mis and disinformation. That could all be more smokescreen to just get us looking in a hundred directions as opposed to focusing on who may have really been involved. 
And I want to reintroduce you guys, Sean Kane and Bill Rader of the incredible podcast, That's Enough Out of You. And now here is important information from TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. While the fiery images of mostly peaceful protests coming out of central Dublin over the weekend were disturbing, and although no one condones arson, property damage, and violence against police, it was good to see the Irish finally get their Irish up and direct their ire where it properly belongs, against their own government, which has been selling out the Irish people for decades now. What triggered the upheaval? The stabbing of a young woman and two little children, including a five-year-old girl who is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries, by a Muslim maniac who was, you guessed it, known to police. The guard had disarmed the man just last month after finding him with an illegal knife. They knew he was a problem and they did nothing to stop these attacks. Ireland is actively promoting its own destruction. It is committing suicide in exactly the same way the United Kingdom committed social suicide. The number one name for new boys in Galway last year, Mohammed for the first time ever. Ireland needs to get a hold of the fact that the enemy is within the gates and their own government are the ones that have opened the doors. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. The conversation continues with Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. This is World Stage, and with me are Sean and Bill from That's Enough Out of You, the very, very great podcast that they've been co-hosting for a year and a half, so spring 2022, right? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was around that time, uh, summer, late summer of, of, uh, 2022, we, we started, we started planning this, you know, quite, quite a, uh, a few months beforehand, um, you know, just trying to, I mean, when people ask me all the time, you know, how, how do you get a podcast started? And <laughs> honestly, all you really need is a microphone and a computer. I mean, it, you know, it's not yeah. that, uh, an idea, right. It, it's, you know, but, but. You know, if you really want it to succeed, um, you have to put a lot of thought into it and you really have to plan out, right. you know, what you're what you want to talk about, who you want to talk to, who your audience is and, you know, what you want to what you want to present to them, what you want them to know. And how do you keep them coming back? And that's that's probably the most important thing that, you know, that we've had to to figure out over the last year or so is how do we how do we keep them you know uh, engaged? How do we keep them coming back? And I think you know the fact that 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 uh, we're both fairly accessible on social media, Sean especially, um, you know, for for our audience to to uh, engage with us, to ask questions, and the fact that we respond to those questions on our show, and and you know actually, um, you know, make our audience part of the show. Uh, I think that's that's been you know part of uh, the reason why we've been able to um, to be successful. Yeah, and you guys radiate an authenticity. I don't know how much that could be planned in advance. Uh, and maybe it certainly was. 
you've got a, in, at least I've got to have the impression that you've got a very consistent um, identity or voice. And maybe it's just because you guys are, you know, very, very straightforward. Um, you know, yeah, we're not we're not polished broadcasters. Bruce, as you could probably tell, we're just a couple of guys from from Northeast Pennsylvania that wanted to do a podcast. So, uh, you know, that's <laughs> if that's our identity, I think we're OK with it. You know, <laughs> well, you re- well, you remind me of the, of the young actor who had an aha. He said, uh, I finally figured it out. Sincerity. When you can fake that, you got it made. So, <laughs> there you go. You guys are you guys are the real deal is what I really want to say. And, you know, the the topic of organized crime, you know, Sean, one of the first things you said about them was, you know, not to glorify them, but we we can be fascinated by pirates and rebels and outlaws because our society is oppressive. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the American in the 1800s, wrote eloquently, all society is in a conspiracy against its members to make us conform and to kindle an authentic individuality and be true to yourself is what also Henry David Thoreau rhapsodized beautifully about. So these kind of characters who were glorified in gangster movies in the 30s and (laughs) I'm going to say recently in The Godfather, just to date myself, um, we we can learn even by giant huge despicable scoundrels lyndon johnson comes to mind because ambitious people and intelligent people need to cherry pick what worked for them i've i learned how to succeed tips and tricks and leadership things from the likes of lyndon johnson from the likes of Richard Nixon, not emulating their character or their 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 morals or or their values because they were reprehensible, but but yet even a, even a scoundrel can develop uh, incredible charismatic even uh, success habits. Well, you look at you look at John Gotti in the eighties. I mean, he was as popular as as anybody. You know, there were parties on the streets when when, uh, you know, when when he was found not guilty in those trials and people were partying in the streets. There, the were, there was works off. There, yeah, there was celebrating. Mean, and this guy was, you know, a thug. He was he was a criminal. He was a murderer. He was a thief. And yet because, you know, as you said, Bruce, the the you know, the oppression uh, of, of people, people feel like, hey, you know, this is this is a guy who. You know, he kind of represents the the you know the common man. He represents somebody. Like Robin Hood is with the exactly. You know, he, and he did a lot of that. He he threw parties for you know in the neighborhood. He made he took a lot of the the ill gotten gains and and gave it to you know gave it to supported people within his neighborhood. But uh, again, you have to realize who these people really are. They're not heroes. They're not people to be celebrated. And I think. The, the more that you look into, you know, as Sean has done so much research and read so many books about um, who these people really are, it's it's interesting um, to, you know, to understand uh, who they are. And, you know, uh, another one we talk about, um, 
quite a bit of Sammy the Bull. You know, Sammy the Bull has has a podcast that that we both listen to. And when you hear some of the things that he did, things that he freely admits that he did, um, you know, again, just uh, uh, awful, terrible. It's, what's uh, his last name? Gravano? Gravano, yeah. Gravano, yeah. yeah. The, the one thing, though, Bruce, is, and me and Bill talk about this all the time, the one thing that always comes down to with these guys is money. Every decision is about money. Absolutely. And if it comes down to you living or them making money, they're making money. And they'll kill their best friend for, yeah. for, for money. That's basically what a mob hit is, is one best friend killing another. That's 99% of them, you know, because they have access to the victim and the, the boss will have the be one best friend kill another. Right. And that's chilling. You know, that just made my stomach turn a little bit. Sure. And there's always going to be an element, a percentage of humanity who are scoundrels, who are bullies who take your lunch money simply because they can, because they're bigger and stronger than you, who don't recognize rights. And we have to work very, very hard on identifying the values that make our lives worth living, which is, you know, love and respecting each other's rights and wanting for each other what we would like for ourselves, because who the heck am I? And yet, for the sake of our dear republic, examining organized crime, is a very, very fascinating uh, subcurrent. For instance, tell me what you know about their involvement with our, our government starting in World War II. What uh, have you found about that? Well, the, the relationship does go back that far. You know, Lucky Luciano um, in, in the mafia was hired to protect the docks in New York from sabotage. And they, that relationship was cemented in World War II. And then later on, you know, the CIA would feel comfortable going to, to the gangsters to, to take out Fidel Castro. And then they would, you know, get Robert Mayhew, who was a contract agent for the CIA, and, and get Giancana and Traficante and Roselli and, and, you know, do the hit on Castro. So, so well, to, to try to kill him. They did a lot of plots, but the, 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 they didn't kill him, but they tried to, they no, had a lot of plots, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And are you aware of a writer named Whitney Webb and her two-volume book, One Nation Under Blackmail? No. I'll be sending you an email. Because <laughs> the solicit You're bringing a lot of new uh, new names to us, Bruce. A lot of new authors, so that's good. Dude, listen to the subtitle. The title is One Nation Under Blackmail. The subtitle. The sordid union between organized crime and intelligence oh. that, that mm. gave rise to Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. She turned in a 900-page manuscript, and Chris said, uh, that's big. We're going to do it in volume one and volume two. And it came out last year. And she's a fantastically popular writer and podcaster on the internet, independent. And definitely in her. And so it's the, the, she started researching Jeffrey Epstein and his connections to, you know, the rich and the powerful. This pedophile, this this pimp for uh, powerful people. And she found relationships that came out of relationships that go back to the beginning of organized crime and specifically teaches and shows the sexual blackmail as a tactic as you alluded to before what the 
what the mob had and the CIA had on J. Edgar Hoover, who was supposed to be the nation's top cop. You know, how blackmail, how compromised he was and how, how corrupt he was. And what an, talk to me about related to this, what you might know about how awfully evil and corrupt and criminal the FBI has been for many, many decades. Well, before we get to that, Bruce, I just want to say one thing about the, the CIA and the intelligence uh, relationship. But, you know, we had a, a episode with Lisa Peace on, and I told her one time, I said, listen, you, we got to stop looking at Johnny Rotzelli as strictly just a mafioso, where he's he's actually a contract agent with the CIA just as much as he is a, a mafia member. And we have to look at that angle as look at him as a CIA agent. That's how close he was with William Harvey, who was the head of Staff D, which was Foreign Intelligence, and later the, you know, one of the ZR rifle uh, operations uh, for killing Castro. So, I mean, the relationship goes back, uh, you know, like you said, World War II. But with the FBI, I think one of the worst scandals is uh, up in Boston, where you know John Conley really sell, fell on the sword. Uh, with the FBI, and and it didn't stop there. Like the relationship with Whitey Bulger and the FBI went all the way back to when Bulger was released from prison. And and like I said, we're going to have a podcast coming up of how bad the corruption was. And there's been a juror that that's come out, and she had a relationship uh, with Bulger after the fact, and she actually said that she felt sorry that she convicted him because the, the real culprit was the government, or what they they created because they created him. And they protected him for for thirty years, and and they were actually you know giving him names of people that were informing on him to other agencies like the state police and the DEA, and you know what would happen to those people? They'd end up disappearing. So the corruption at that level was just so unbelievable up in Boston, and you know they they blamed two guys, John Conley and, and John Morris, but believe me, it didn't stop there. It, it went very higher than that, and you have to ask yourself, did they? you know, make sure that Bulger didn't talk at the end there, because why was this guy transferred into general population? That's something that's always troubled me, where you take one of the most, you know, infamous criminals of, of all time, and you have him in solitary confinement, and then all of a sudden you transfer him into general population where his enemies are. And he's not, and then he was killed. He was killed. He was killed, he was killed uh, or he escaped or he was killed there. He was killed there. He was killed there. This John Connolly, are you? Is it the same John Connolly who was governor of Texas? No, no, no. This was John. This is John Connolly who was an FBI agent in Boston. Okay, and he was Whitey Bulger's handler um, because you know they say that Whitey was an informant. But like I said, uh, I went through the files and he wasn't given any information. The information was always going from the FBI to Whitey right. instead of from Whitey to the FBI. So John Connolly was working for Whitey. So that's the corruption you talked about, Bruce, with the FBI. And, and the scandal was so bad. Right. I, it, it was just unbelievable up there. And Conley ended up going to prison, and he's still in prison. All right. So Bulger was some kind of a mafioso doing crimes. How well, is, but what Boston, was he? Boston. Yeah. And how, and how much of his criminality was controlled and instigated by his government handlers? I mean, he would have never he would have never became the boss if it wasn't for his his handlers. I mean, they protected him. They they created him, really. And it, and it goes back to when he was in prison and he was in the MK Ultra program. 
All right. Two questions then. You know, the juror, we're going to have this about the juror that talked to to Whitey and she would, uh, Whitey would tell her about the government doctors coming to him and giving him LSD and and the headaches and the the hallucinations he would have and the violent dreams he would have because he never committed any murders until he got out of Alcatraz. And then they would also give him books, Bruce. They would give him like Sun Tzu, Art of War, and Machiavelli. And why right. would you that to a guy like Bolger unless you're trying to create a mob boss? All right. So they create a mob boss and they vast uh, what amount of his criminal activities after he was created or groomed by the government were strictly for him to make money? Or what have what can you say or speculate were some uh, things accomplished? by him for the government what was the government having him do for what government driven uh, that's a great question Bruce. um a lot of the a lot of the um hits that that bulger was accused of really are outside of the realm of organized crime and one of the one of the worst was uh, a billionaire businessman in oklahoma city by the name of roger wheeler and roger wheeler was a real mover and shaker out there and he he was involved in a lot of different things and he had a lot of powerful friends he used to play golf with Ronald Reagan when he was president. So this was a powerful guy. And this was right when Iran-Contra was going on. And Whitey Bulger ends up sending a couple of his hoodlums out there. And uh, Roger Wheeler was protected by ex-FBI agents. And they end up standing down. They were given, um, Bulger's people were given uh, the outline of his uh, country club out there. And he sends two guys out there and they they whack him out there. Why do you think the government, assuming the government wanted this this powerful guy in the Midwest whacked, why'd they want him whacked? Well, I, I at this point, I was going to probably have to just speculate, but I think okay. he may have known something about Iran-Contra. Thank you. He, Let, we're we're down to our last... We're down to anything. Sean, we're, we're down to our last couple of minutes and I want to hit you with a couple of fast ones. Okay. Um... How many others do you have the impression were MK Ultra mind controlled into being a, a horrible, notorious figure like Whitey Bulger? Well, I mean, as far as organized crime, he's the only one I've come across. But I mean, I, I'm convinced by Tom, o- Tom O'Neill's work that Charles yeah. Manson was an MK Ultra, yeah. right? And he was used in Operation Chaos. Right. And when you get that book I told you about by Michael Hoffman, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. You're going to discover many more mm. who have been, you know, who were who were groomed and used for truly horrible things. In our final moment or two or minute or two, guys, what would you recap? What would you emphasize? What would you reiterate? Uh, go ahead, Bill. No, I would just say, you know, um, if you if you listen to our show, you're going to hear we, we really provide a, a platform for people who who aren't allowed on mainstream media. In fact, you know, Jim Jim Diagenio, who's been- We've got about 30 seconds, guys. He, he's been a guest of, of ours several times. I think he was recently on Fox News. They missed, yep. they, they couldn't even get his name right. They so, didn't get his name right. I saw that clip. That's enough out of you.squarespace.com. Sean Kane and Bill Rader. I'm not done with you guys to be continued. All right. Rolling into the future, wishing you a great Christmas season, my friends. Same to you. Same to you, Bruce. And um, keep up the great quality of of the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, having the courage to talk about and look at 
and the things that you do. This is TNT Radio.